all you little onions. Carrie here from the Editing Bay. I know you're normally here for laughs, but I need 30 seconds of your time before we get started. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to take a moment to say that we have been following the coverage of global protests and seeing for ourselves how activists and allies are coming together to demand justice for the death of George Floyd and the countless other victims of police brutality. It is certainly not our place to speak for anyone. So rather than doing so, please take a look at the show notes for lists of podcasts hosted and or produced by Black creators. You can find resources for how you can contribute positively to the Black Lives Matter movement. You can find articles on how to educate yourself on systematic racism and how to be a better ally. Remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. Thank you all and on with the show. If you could measure your life by an arbitrary, like, unit of measurement. Like in the song? Yeah, like in the song. <laughs> what, what, how do you think you would measure your a year in your life? Hours of House of Cards watch? Commutes. Commutes? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'd probably measure mine in peach bellinis. I love me some bellinis. It's tasty. They are tasty. I will give you that. <laughs> very, very tasty. I'm sorry. I'm sad you're out. I know. <laughs> I'm very, very I'm going to have to settle for this tea and pineapple juice. <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where you can take us or leave us. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2005 musical film, Rent. Guys, this is like one of our biggest movies yet. <laughs> I, uh, can you feel the energy? There's so much history and context here. It's a lot to unpack. And guys, I mean, welcome to Queer Film Month. Welcome. Yes. Give us. Let's get a little track of applause, shall we? <laughs> yes. I'm not glad we're all going to be inside for Pride Month, but, you know, I'm glad we're going to be together in a way. Exactly. Via the internet and having our own different kinds of celebrations over Zoom. And I'm sure you've heard it many different times over the past couple of weeks, but notice how the queers are being oddly unproblematic throughout this whole disaster. You know, we canceled Pride. You didn't hear us bitching about it. Where are our signs that say, I need to throw ass? (laughs) We don't need a haircut, but we need... To, I, now, as my daddy always says, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. <laughs> Before we get started, guys, head on over to Facebook and Twitter. Follow us at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. And if you want to write the show, make suggestions, ask questions, you can write us at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That is with an and, not an ampersand. Also, please remember, go leave us a review if you haven't done so already. We'd love to hear from you about how you guys are enjoying the show in this quarantine time. We'll give you a Money. <laughs> no, please don't promise them money. What are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't do anything. One more little housekeeping thing before we get started. Folks, this is a beautiful story. It's a wonderful show. Uh, that being said, there's some dark material here. Mm. We're going to be dealing with a myriad of issues. Yes, we are. Addiction, disease, loss. It's going to get real sad there for a minute. I need a bell for every time you use a good SAT vocab word. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, what, myriad? Myriad. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Maybe you want to pick a lighter episode. I don't know. It's tough times, so you do you. Well, we do hope that all of our LGBTQIA listeners out there will enjoy our selections for Queer Film Month. Happy Pride to everybody. Are you ready to talk more? Let's get into it. 
There are times when we're dirt broke and hungry and freezing, and I ask myself, why the hell am I still living here? A bunch of us are getting together tonight. Would you like to come with us? Sure. lucky you were that we were all friends, but it was us, baby, who were the lucky ones. Revolution Studios presents the musical phenomenon that defined a generation. So this whole subject has had quite a journey, has it not? Oh, God. The legacy of this piece. Rent is as old as I am. (laughs) Does that make you want to barf? It premiered, I think, the April before the September I was born. So it was 1996 when it first opened on Broadway. It had been workshopped for a long time. Like seven years. Before it ever came to the stage. You know, you wouldn't think Rent is such a, you know, soul-crushing story the way everyone is so hype about it. I think it's just because it's part of a stitch in a lot of different histories. I don't want to say it's universal because it's not. Yeah. You know, we can't relate to a lot of problems in this movie, but I think the spirit of it, the joy, the hope, the will you get from it, I think that's something everybody can relate to. And it's important to a lot of people for that reason. Okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about La Boheme? Yes. Bless. 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 (laughs) Bless. Bless La Boheme. Let me take a sip. So like a hundred years exactly before Rent. Mm-hmm. In the 1890s, there was like um, this uh, guy. He he was like you know like just a low key little artist. You know you might know him. His name's Puccini. La Bohème is rent only like in Bohemia, like actual Bohemia. <laughs> you know what yes, I'm saying? Yes. La Bohème. It takes place in Paris in the 1830s. And what do you know? We have all of these characters who are friends and are struggling. And are some of them are creatives? It's basically an opera about starving artists. <laughs> Star- starving artists with tuberculosis. Yeah, instead of AIDS, we're dealing with tuberculosis here in La Boheme. So Jonathan Larson took the inspiration of La Boheme and translated it into the show about living in New York. You know, it's about starving artists and people who are living with HIV and AIDS, which is the like, tuberculosis. During the epidemic, like while it was happening. Yeah, you know, in a time when, you know, we didn't know a lot about it yet and we didn't have the best medications for it. And a lot of people were dying. Jonathan Larson, the man who wrote this show, he lost a number of friends to this 
health crisis. A lot of people just didn't care about it because it was principally affecting people in the LGBT community and in communities of color. This subject touches on literally so much that we as a society just brush aside, like poverty and homelessness and homophobia and transphobia and phobia of people with STDs, like... Yeah. And how... Especially the hatred against gay men. Yes. Who were made out to be, you know, horrible, disease-ridden vectors who are depraved and know nothing but, you know... A A truly evil time in the public lexicon. Exactly. Okay, so the really, really sad thing about the original Broadway production of Rent is that Jonathan Larson, who worked really, really hard on it, um, never got to see it. No, he died the night of the last dress rehearsal. Yeah. Can you imagine? He had he had a he had an an, he had a aneurysm. He was like thirty five. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah, the first performance of Rent was just for Jonathan's family. That's really sweet. I know. That's really sweet. Can you imagine? You know, you having worked for years on this. And then it's culminating finally and to lose your leader like that. Yeah. Like, my God. And out of the eight principal characters, six of them reprise their original roles. Mm -hmm. And so I just I feel the spirit running through this entire movie. Speaking of eight principal characters, we should probably start talking about who's in this movie. Okay, folks. So originals from the original Broadway cast in the film are Anthony Rapp, Adam Pascal, Adina Menzel, Jesse L. Martin, Tay Diggs, and Wilson Germain Heredia. Yes. And then newcomers, we have Rosario Dawson and Tracy Toms, because I don't think the OG um, Joanne and Mimi really looked the age of their part anymore. Yeah. Because it's, you know, 10 years later. Yeah. And you know what? None of these guys, you know, they're they obviously all 10 years along from when they first opened this musical. So they don't look our age anymore. No, they certainly They don't. looked like kids back in 96. They sure did. You've heard us say it before on this show. If you are an actor who works in New York, you have been on Law and Order in one way or another. (laughs) Three of them. Three of them have been on Law and Order. And they are Jesse L. Martin. (laughs) Oh, my God. As Detective Ed Green on Law and Order Original Recipe. We have uh, Wilson Heredia played a predator on SVU. And a victim. And then who else? Um, Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp was on twice. He yeah. he was on SVU twice. I think Tracy Toms was on like an episode of Cold Case with Jesse L. Martin. This is Tracy Toms' second kicking and streaming appearance. You might know her as um, <laughs> Lily from The Devil Wears Prada. I love her. You know, it's difficult to come into a cast with that much pre-built chemistry mm-hmm. and fit in. I think Tracy Toms fits in seamlessly. So this was Adina Menzel's big break. Yeah. Originally, back in 96. Adele Kazim? (laughs) I will never get over that moment in pop culture history where he invited her out to sing Let It Go. At the John Travolta at the Oscars. I think it was at the Oscars. I don't know. It was. It sure was. And please give it up for Adele Kazim. (laughs) I'm sorry. That is not even microscopically close. He just stepped up there and fucked up. I don't understand what happened. I, don't, I just, I think he just kept forgetting it. There was a moment there where I thought, oh no, did he just have a stroke on yeah, live Adele television? Yeah, Anyway, I'm sorry. And you know, yeah, obviously she went on to do Wicked. Yes. 
What's Rosario Dawson from? She's from Clerks 2. Uh, a lot of people might recognize her from Daredevil. She's in that Sin City thing you love. Oh, that's right. I Listen, that, it's not the best movie in the world. I am obsessed with it. Oh, that's where I know her from. Yeah. <laughs> no, Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> that is where I know her from. <laughs> She also voiced Wonder Woman. Isn't that great? So we've got a very we've got a very eclectic group here. You know what I'm saying? Folks, we should drop this in the related media. If you want, you know, to compare film and stage version, they did tape the final performance of Rent on Broadway. Aww. And we should drop a link. We should. We should drop a link if you ever because like Rent is sung all the way through and it's beautifully done. And it's fun to see what they wrote into the movie versus what, you know, they sang in the musical. Yeah. I love doing that. Okay. Are you ready to talk about this film? I am ready to sob. Let's <sighs> let's do it. Gaze, perk your ears. When it says a Chris Columbus film, I'm shocked every time. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and I, you know, obviously got to have Jonathan Larson's name on. Just that piano. Any other sets of chords set you alive that way? N- n- not many. If you're a theater kid, a choir kid, uh, you probably like Seasons of Love. Or at least you've heard it. Like, if you're in music in high school, you can't get away from it because it's a very beautiful piece, mm-hmm. but it is also relatively simple. You know, Seasons of Love is not at the beginning of the show. It's at the beginning of Act 2, but they were like, mm, let's bookend this. But, like, the way they use it in this movie, it's like an invitation. Exactly. Because we're on an empty stage, mm-hmm. and we've got all eight principal characters. 525,600 minutes 525,000 moments, oh dear 525,600 minutes How do you measure, measure a year? Diversity is so important. Rent is one of the few shows out there that mandates diversity. I love it. I like, it looks, how about love, baby? Oh, I know. How about love? This opening overwhelms me because most of them are from the OBC and mm. they were there. Mm-hmm. And just, oh God, I feel it radiating through the screen. This song is indeed a classic. It is. I hate to say it, but it is a classic. <laughs> song peters out we finally move into the movie we move into uh, mark's camera oh yeah <laughs> they did a very very good job on making this part of new york look like 1989 oh yeah they sure did like i that's i think the car the cars are the most immediate way to tell oh yeah you know what i'm saying where we are and i'm just like oof when we are is that what it looked like <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're getting b-roll from mark's latest film and some narration that is regrettably on brand for me December 24th, 1989, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, I shoot without a script. See if anything comes of it. Instead of my old shit. 
uh, what are we not going to pay? <laughs> We're not going to pay rent. <laughs> that guitar starts and we get launched into rent. How do you document real life when real life's getting more like fiction each day? Headlines, breadlines, blow my mind, and now this deadline, eviction or pay. Rent! Mark. Mark's my favorite character. Oh, yeah. Yes, I get it. He's your favorite one, too. (laughs) I have such an emotional connection to Mark. One thing I realized after watching this again is that that is where you get it. Your documentative spirit. Yes. This is exactly where you get it from. Carrie Ann was filming everything. Everybody... There's just something about the way, like, I loved the way he just filmed his friends being alive and being people, Mm -hmm. and they were memorialized forever, and I thought that was so valuable. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. So I became obsessed with capturing my friends on camera when we were just hanging out or when we were doing theater stuff together and cementing that forever. It was so important to me. So we get introduced to both Roger and Mark. Mark's a filmmaker, Roger. Roger's a musician. They live in Alphabet City. In a big, giant loft. And, you know, there's a lot of people like them in the area who are also starving artists who can't pay their rent. Uh, The amount of homeless. Yes. The amount of homeless is staggering. It's it's an epidemic. It is. Roger is very brooding and aloof. Yeah. He recently suffered a personal loss. He's a recovering addict. And he does have AIDS. Yes. They live in this loft together, and they I think they're like four months behind on rent at this point. They've had their power shut off mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve. Yeah, how evil. I know. How evil. How freaking evil. And then, like, they're literally just getting a trash barrel and stuffing, like, screenplays and music posters into it and lighting it on fire to keep warm. Yeah. We meet Tom, Tom Collins, who is a gay philosophy professor at NYU. Just let those words sink in. Yeah, but he's poor as shit. He is poor as shit. And wouldn't you be? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He is an anarchist, he does have AIDS, and he is played by Jesse L. Martin, who is so goddamn gorgeous, I can't stand it. I just, I wrote Oh, to be hot and sing well. I know. <laughs> Do you love Jesse L. Martin? Yeah. Oh, God. Just that voice. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like, it's like bronze. <laughs> I love it. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, his gorgeous ass is getting mugged in the middle of the song. Like, he comes up to the window and if he's like, If three men approach you and ask you for a light, run. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Mark throws him down the keys from the balcony mm-hmm. and he's going to go up and he gets jumped. How do you stay on your feet when on every street it's trick or treat? And tonight it's trick. Welcome back to town. Oh, I should lie down. Everything's brown and uh-oh, I feel sick. Where is he? Getting this. <laughs> this is where I wrote, these artists are fucking done. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> People are like hanging out of their balconies, like lighting their eviction notices on fire. And That's so, that's just so cool. That's just so epic. <laughs> you like that whole part? Yeah, and I just like people just burning all of their eviction notices and throwing them into the street. You know, that's, I thought of you. I was just like, you ever just want to go ape shit? Yeah, like I just want to <laughs> lose it. Just absolutely lose it. Start a fire in a driveway like Amanda Bynes. <laughs> Stop. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. After the song is over, we meet Benny, played by Tay Diggs. He's Mark and Roger's landlord. Benny used to be roommates with Mark and Roger 
and Maureen who, and Collins, and who we've yet to who we've yet to meet yet. Yeah, they all used to like be cool artist people together. I don't understand how he got so wealthy. He married into money. Close up, Benjamin Coffin the third, our ex roommate who married Allison Gray of the Westport Grays. His father-in-law bought several buildings on the block and a nearby vacant lot home to Tent City. Benny hopes to evict all of the homeless from Tent City and build a cyber studio. I wrote, Benny's a fuck. Benny is evil now. Yeah, he is absolutely <laughs> evil. He's, in their words, he sold out. He is the Black Lex Luthor of Avenue A. <laughs> so Benny is asking them how all of their air quote friends are. Oh, you yeah. Know? He's like, how's Maureen? You still dating her? And he's like, I was dumped. She got a new man? Well, no. What's his name? Joanne. Joanne. (laughs) And then Benny just bursts into this rude-ass laughter. Throughout the whole beginning of the first part of the movie, everyone thinks that Maureen leaving Mark for a woman is so funny. And I don't get it. And I'm just like, okay... Obviously, let's let Maureen follow her heart, but, like, can we not pick on Mark about it? Like, yeah, it doesn't make him less of a man. It doesn't. I think Benny's a little mad because they're, like, months behind on rent, mm-hmm. and he's there to collect. So Benny has the proposition. It's a very attractive proposition. You'll see, boys. This takes us into you'll see, boys. Can I just, I just want to say this. I don't enjoy Tay Diggs singing. What? I don't. A state-of-the-art digital virtual interactive studio. I'll forgo your rent and on paper guarantee that you can stay here for free if you do me one small favor. What? Convince Maureen to cancel her protest. Benny's basically just like, hey, you know, you could live here rent-free and I will open a studio for you guys to work. Yeah, the studio that's going to evict all the homeless. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, but you have to stop Maureen from the huge protest she's going to make on all of these homeless people in these tent cities. And they're like, oh, wow, we're so not going to sell all of these poor people out. Yeah, they have a real problem with that. And he's like, get the fuck off of our block. And Benny's (laughs) just like, "Uh, okay, I can evict you or you can stop the protest. That's it. Bye. Merry Christmas. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, Benny, I really wish Benny wasn't a part of this plot, but I know there needs to be a villain. I mean, hey, it was an attractive offer until he, you know, evicted the homeless. I mean, wouldn't you be thinking about it? Oh, I'm I'm thinking about it right now. If someone opened you a whole studio for you to do your creative work. I I could film, I could write songs, I could write. Like, oh my, it's such an attractive offer. But no, not on the lives of those homeless people, no. We got our first shot of Angel. Angel is a performing artist. Angel's got rhythm. My favorite form of music is percussion. Oh, yeah. And Angel plays a pickle tub. (laughs) (laughs) The 10-gallon plastic pickle tub. Angel is a performing artist and a drag queen who also has AIDS. We obviously, on this podcast, we don't want to make any assumptions about people's gender. But there are people who think that... Angel is not just a drag queen, but rather could be a transgender woman or a non-binary person or a gender fluid person. But just because these are the pronouns they use in the musical, we're going to be using she, her pronouns. Yeah. No disrespect to anyone. That's just the pronouns they use in the movie. Exactly. In between beatings on the pickle drum, she hears Collins moaning in the alley where he got mugged. The animals took his jacket Mm -hmm. on Christmas. I just love the, oh my God, you okay, honey? (laughs) Which is actually the name of a song in the stage version. You okay, honey? And he's like, I'm afraid so. (laughs) And he's like, why didn't they just fucking kill me? I'm Angel. 
Angel. Friends call me Collins. Tom. Tom Collins. Not to mention, he still has their keys. Oh, yeah. No, back up in the apartment, Mark is going out to look for Collins. He obviously never turned up after they tossed him those keys. And that just leaves Roger to brood in solitude. I just love how he's like, you want to get something to eat? And he's like, zoom in on my empty wallet. Director. Yeah, Roger. Like, Roger's so surly. And, you know, he, he's been going through it. He's pretty depressed for like the first half of this movie. Roger, you know, recovering addict. He has AIDS. He knows the clock is ticking. Yeah. On his life. There's no cure for this disease. Not yet. And so Roger really wants to write one big song. He would just like to finish something. Yeah, he would like to finish one thing before... He passes away. Yeah. And I'm just like, oof, to have to live with that. This takes us into One Song Glory. One song glory. One song before I go glory. One song to leave behind. One Song Glory basically takes us through, you know, his, you know, meeting of his ex-girlfriend and her name was April. Yes. <laughs> you know, they he was a musician and he was starting to make it. And with that came the nightlife and the drugs mm-hmm. and the alcohol. And I think he and April met and they became codependent addicts. Like, exactly. Those are words maybe I'm not necessarily qualified to use, but that seems to be my impression. And, you know, April becomes HIV positive. She gives it to Roger she dies. Yeah, it's really sad, and it fucked Roger up bad. You have three big, terrible epidemics going on here. You have the AIDS and HIV epidemic, you have this epidemic of homelessness, and this epidemic of addiction. Yeah. And it's controlling all of these people's lives. Find the one song before the virus takes hold glory like a sunset. One song to redeem this empty life. Time flies, and there's no need to endure anymore. Time dies. Roger is too loud. <laughs> you think so? The volume adjustment on my television is awful. Uh huh. So, like, you turn it on, and it's very, very loud when you're only on. Oh, yeah. And then, like, it it gradually goes down. You have to turn it up, and then you get to 21, and then for whatever reason, it decides to spike. Oh, yeah. It's not mixed very evenly. Yeah. All I'm saying is people are out here waiting for Santa to come, <laughs> and you are screaming one song glory on the roof of your apartment building. He gets done with his little piece. And in true opera fashion, we go straight from one song glory into light my candle. And so <laughs> you see Mimi in the stairwell as he's going back into the loft. She lives in the apartment below him. And she's got this candle and you can see the look on her face like, ooh, who that singing? Who that you singing up there? <laughs> and this takes us, yes, into Light My Candle, which is my favorite song. I like the immediate chemistry that they both have and I just love the little back and forth it's this whole the, song The is. whole song's a conversation. Like, Mimi came literally to flirt and get D. She did. Like, <laughs> she, she did. What? Nothing. Your smile reminded me I always remind people of Who is she? She died. Her name was April. It's out again. Sorry about your friends. Would you light my candle? 
she is an exotic dancer at the Catch Scratch Club. That's she, where I work. I dance. <laughs> I love it. And she keeps blowing out this candle and she's like, can I have another match? <laughs> she just wants him to touch her. Yeah, he keeps lighting her candle. <laughs> and it's Get this it? Whole, yeah, get it? It's a whole metaphor. And like, she is also currently in the grips of, I think, heroin addiction. She drops her stash. Yeah. And she can't find it. And they're, you know, they're going all over the floor and Roger finds it. And he like hides it from her. Yeah, because he, of course, he knows. He doesn't want her to keep doing it. You uh-huh. know? And Mimi also has AIDS. Yeah. Roger doesn't know that at first, but I'm just going to say so now. Yeah. I said, they're both big flirts, but this is undoubtedly sexual harassment. Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roger doesn't really seem to be returning her advances. Yeah, Roger's like... Can you get out of my loft? <laughs> he, he's like, lady, after everything I've been through, there's no way I'm doing this again. Yeah, no, like he has li- he has more life experience than her because she is 19 years old. <laughs> yeah. And he is not. She finally manages to Just take her stash back from very, him. Very skillfully picks it out of his back pocket. <laughs> I'm Roger. They call me, they call me, me. And she just leaves. They call me Mimi. The next morning. Christmas morning. Yeah. Mark's mother calls. And I love how they never answer the phone. No. The the answering machine element is actually a much bigger part of the stage show. Oh, I love it. It's some of my favorite stuff. Like, it's kind of a bookend to everything. You know, all of the scenes open basically with an answering machine. Mark comes from an upstate Jewish family. Mark, it's the Wicked Witch of the West, your mother. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. He is never going to answer his parents. <laughs> I love their answering machine. It's just... Speak. Mark, are you there? Are you screening your call? It's Mom. I just wanted to call and say we love you. We'll miss you today. And I just love how, like, Mark's like, you know, sometimes I wonder why I still live here. And then they call. Yeah. And I remember. (laughs) And I remember. (laughs) This takes us into Today for You. Collins slides open that barn door, and he is a new man. Merry Christmas, bitches! Hey, Collins! Your keys. Yeah, 14 hours later, what the hell happened to you? He brought some 8 a.m. Stoli. Yeah. Like, he, he brought a bucket <laughs> of Ace of Stoli. A 10-gallon plastic pickle tub full of food. Oh, yeah. And Mark's like, this is a complete Christmas feast. Thank you. And he's like, where did all this come from? You're, we're all broke as shit. They're literally heating coffee on a hot plate. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so guess who bought the Stolies and the food? A queen. Yes. <laughs> Colin starts singing and he introduces Angel Dumat Chouinard. A new member of the Alphabet City avant-garde. Angel Dumat Angel strolls in in a red Santa jacket, zebra print belt. Oh, and the boots. I could die. Today for you, tomorrow for me. Today for you, tomorrow for me. She walks in and she hands Mark and Roger stacks of cash. Oh, it's great. Like, and they're like, what? Angel will sing a lot in this song about the different ways she makes her money. Yes. I've never quite understood this incident she describes. Okay, I don't, it's almost like she's just doing it for the number, but like. Oh, she's performing. Yeah, but like. Absolutely. Basically what she's wanting us to believe 
is that a very wealthy woman <laughs> has a neighbor with a very loud Akita. <laughs> a dog, and, a small dog. Yeah, she pays her to drum below the Akita's window <laughs> until the dog barks and barks and barks until it finally just keels over and dies. <laughs> Like I said, basically on stage, it's just that metal table. And this metal table they have in their kitchen, she literally just clears it off and starts banging on it with the drumsticks. To dance and drum in drag. Oh, my God. Like Wilson Heredia. Uh-huh. I don't know how he does it. The movements in the stiletto boots. It's like he he had just been doing it just yesterday. The jump? Oh, yeah. The way she just jumps up on the table and, and lands and jumps off of it. Oh, my God. I can't. In the heels. We're, we're, we're getting. We're getting. <laughs> I just wrote the jumps. Percussion is my favorite. Holy shit. Ross, I could scream. I just, I can't get over this number. Um, this is where I wrote, Maureen is manipulative. Oh, God. <laughs> so after Angel wraps her song up, Maureen calls and asks Mark to come to the performance space and fix her AV equipment before the protest starts. And because Mark doesn't know any other way to be, he's going to help her out. But not before he bitches about it. And I'm with Collins. Mark, you could have said no. Yeah, Mark, you could have said no. <laughs> and he's like, I know, but I'm easily manipulated. So... Mark, of course, goes to the space, and this is where we awkwardly meet Joanne for the first time. Joanne is the woman that Maureen left Mark for. And she is a wealthy black lawyer in New York. Oh, and she wears the suits with the tie and the suspenders. I just, oh, I love it. I love women in suits. I, just, I wrote Mark and Joanne meet dot, dot, dot. <laughs> just an awkward dot, and dot, dot. Joanne is my second favorite character. Why is that? Behind Mark. Joanne has her shit together. Joanne is confident about what she wants. She and Mark, I just love her and Mark's little journey to friendship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they have Maureen in common. Exactly. And this is weird because Mark, as of that moment, is not over Maureen. He literally starts futzing with the sample boards and all of a sudden tango music is playing. Bisexual tango. Yes. <laughs> the tango Maureen. It's a dark, dizzy merry-go-round as she keeps you dangling. The most memorable line from this song, hands down, has got to be... It's hard to do this backwards. You should try it in heels. She drops his ass and he cracks his head on the floor. We get this very lovely dream sequence. (laughs) Or should I say, blackout sequence. Everybody's in eleganza and we're tangoing. Fuck Maureen being hot and manipulative. She cheated. She cheated. Maureen cheated. Fucking cheated. I'm defeated. I should give up right now. Gotta look on the bright side with all of your might. really cared for this song that much and that's just because there's this weird undertone of bisexuality as otherly as in 
It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, bisexuals will cheat on you. Yeah, like, yeah. There's an underlying tone there. We're all greedy little breeders. Yeah. I mean, like... I don't care for it, so... I love how everyone dancing is in black, and she's the only one marked in red. Because she's got to be the center of attention. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's very flirtatious. Which is essentially what the song is about, is Maureen needing to have the spotlight. Adina Menzel makes me feel things. I wrote, you're evil, it's hot. I, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can tell from the everything about Maureen that she is a deep Leo. Uh-huh. Like, so I know ex- uh-huh. I know exactly what's going you on. You sure do. She's an oozing, flirtatious person. But- and, and Mark is a Libra. <laughs> it's so obvious. And Mark is a Libra prey. Like, <laughs> and I love how after the song ends and she wakes him up. He's totally over her. He goes, actually, I feel great now. I feel lousy. The life support meeting. Oh, after that, he goes over to the life support meeting to be with Angel and Collins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we said before, it's a support group for people with HIV and AIDS. And every one of these people who's not one of our main characters, they all introduce themselves by name. Mm -hmm. They're all names of friends that Jonathan Larson lost to 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 the disease. To the disease. Yeah. One of the gentlemen who is in the circle, he says that he finds out that his T levels were low. It's the best I've felt in a long time. Months. Then why choose fear? I'm a New Yorker. Fear's my life. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's great, John. And this is where the song Life Support starts. Look, I find some of what you teach suspect Because I'm used to relying on intellect But I try to open up to what I don't know Because reason says I should have died Three years ago There's only us There's only this Forget regret Or life is yours to miss This would happen to a lot of victims of this disease. They'd get diagnosed and have no proper treatment, be given a timeline for the rest of their life by a doctor, and some people would live well beyond what the doctor said they would. Because with HIV, it can either take you as fast as it wants, or you can live with it for up to a decade. Yeah, and you never know when your number is going to come up. And, you know, I just love the lyric, Reason says I should have died three years ago. Yeah. And you just have to continue to live with it. Always being at the last moment and like, that's just a hell. I can't imagine it. No day but today. And I think that's just a call out to, let's address it. Yes, please. Can you please see us? Like, (laughs) we're dying. Can you not ignore us? I hate that. It's very somber. But then we go into this literal anthem. (laughs) We're at the Cat Scratch Club. (laughs) This is out tonight. I, I I love playing this before going out. Oh, I know. <laughs> it makes me feel life, so ready. Life imitates art. I mean, 
Mimi is up next at the Cat Scratch Club. Mm-hmm. And just taking a look at the inside of this club, I would not want to be there. I, why not? Because there's a lot of predatory men in there. In these types of clubs, all of the sleazy, outlandish types are always on the outside of the room. Oh, yeah. And then all of the wealthy, privileged white men are always sitting right around the rim of the stage. Because they're the ones with the money to tuck into the underwear. They're the ones with the money, but I hate the hell there's this power struggle even in the club. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's stupid. (laughs) Mimi is wearing a pair of thigh-high leather boots, this black bikini top and bottoms. I'm going to put this as respectfully as I can. She is very good at what she does. Yes, she is. This song is great. It it takes her through leaving the club for the night, but it kind of ends in her stealing away into Roger's apartment. She literally crawls into his apartment with drugs. Yeah, and she's like, let's do drugs. And I'm like, no, Mimi. Please don't. No, 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 no. No, he's in recovery. Quit offering drugs to a former addict. Yeah. And Roger knows everything that's up with her because that used to be him. Yeah, he used to be the same kind of nightlife club kid. Yeah. And, you know, he got past it and he doesn't want to fuck with it again. Roger does not appreciate her barging in with her drugs. (laughs) Barging in on him and his guitar. I hate the Who do you think you are barging in on me and my guitar little girl hey the door is that way you better go (laughs) you know the fire's out anyway this is where i wrote temptation is a bitch oh yeah i don't feel like he's having to try super hard to rebuff her to push her away but there's still a little you know like "Mm, i'd really like to if you weren't so fucked up no yeah he's like i think he's kind of like you know you're really hot but like i'm taking care of me absolutely And, you know, another day, to put it succinctly, is just Roger saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I hate how everyone takes Mimi's side. Oh, well, yeah, because he and literally like, chases her out of the apartment. And she's like, Roger threw me out. And, like, Angel, Collins, and Mark mm-hmm. are back from the meeting. And she's standing in the middle of the street giving him the Stanley Kowalski treatment. Yeah. Stella! Yeah. They're singing about how Roger just needs to stop being a grump and let down his wall. And, she's, and he's just, like, at the top of the back, like, she tried to get me drunk. Yeah! Like, can you not? No day but today. Take your brown eyes, your pretty smile, your silhouette. No day but today. Another time, another place, another rhyme, a warm embrace. No day but today. Another dance, another way, another chance, another day. No day but Adam Pascal is singing, I'm fixing my pictures on the wall. <laughs> like, sir, we're all right here. Stop screaming. And I'm just like, oof, <laughs> you've got chords. I don't want to glaze over, will I? But it's just very sad. And it's more imagery at the life support meeting of these. And it's just, well, it's all of these poor, lonely people. They're alone in their struggles. They only have each other to talk about That's it why with. they have this group, because literally no one else understands or even wants to understand. Will I lose my dignity? Will someone care? Will I wake tomorrow from this? 
major tentpole of this song is that all these voices are overlapping in a round and Roger walks in. Because Roger decides to stop being, you know... A brooding mess. A brooding mess and, like, embrace support. And deal with his issues. Exactly. And so it's great, you know, Angel and Collins put their arms around him and they're like, good job, buddy. So we go outside and there are, you guessed it, law enforcement officers being awful. They're harassing this homeless woman. And, you know, they're trying, they're telling her to vacate and get going. She can't sleep there on the sidewalk. And, and Mark just starts filming. Yeah, Mark's like, oh, this is great fodder for my documentary. Smile for Ted Koppel officers. Yeah. He can't even catch a break because Miss What's-Her-Name. The, the homeless lady. I love this sequence much more on stage. She points at him at the camera and he's like, I don't need no goddamn help from some bleeding heart cameraman my life's not for you to make a name for yourself on easy sugar easy he was just trying just trying to use me to kill his guilt it's not that kind of movie honey this place is full of artists and in the musical she goes the character goes whoa this place is full of motherfucking artists (laughs) (laughs) she's right she's right i mean sometimes they make their art off the backs of the even less fortunate and that's not cool either i just love hey art You got a dollar? Didn't think so. We go into the subway, and this takes us into Santa Fe. Let's think about other things, guys. I think this is a very good example of people living in shit who are like, let's just think of something else. It's a little escapism, right? Let's fantasize. You ever just want to go apeshit? You ever just want to move to the desert and open up a restaurant? Yeah. Let's open up a restaurant in Santa Fe. Our labors would This is another scene where I think they made very good use of the environment because we're in the subway car Uh and there's all those vertical poles that people are supposed to hang on to. They're swinging from them Uh like they're trees or something. I've always wondered if this is a set or an actual subway car. I'm more inclined to believe that it's a set, Uh, but I want to believe it's an actual subway car. (laughs) And that there's real people on the subway going, what, 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 what is happening? And we're off the subway. And Mark and Roger go to the sound check for Marines protest. 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 Yes. And Angel and Collins just kind of take each other's hands and start walking down the street, singing about how much they love each other. I cannot tell you how annoyed I am by the extras in this number. Why? Because they're literally all, all the extras that are behind them are uh-huh. literally just trying to get in shot of the camera. <laughs> and they're like smiling and they're like... Looking right into y- the lens. Yeah, and they're like nodding their heads and shaking their heads in laughter at these two. And I'm like, be authentic, please. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I've never noticed, Ross, because I am so you're in, fixated. You're in love with their love. I am. Y- and so am I. Their love is so precious and beautiful just slip me on i'll be your blanket wherever whatever i'll be your coat you'll be my king and i'll be your castle no you'll be my queen and i'll be your moat i love the reunion show but you know exactly what i'm talking about where jesse l martin and Wilson Radio are doing the spin. I'll cover you with the spin. And 
Jesse Messi Martin can't do it, but because he's like, oh, I forgot how fast you were. I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna put that clip in the related media. That's yeah. a good clip. I remember having the DVD version of this, and by me having it, I mean you had it and I stole it. Yeah. You can turn on this commentary. I don't know who it is talking. It could be Jesse Martin. It could be Anthony Rapp. They're saying when we first screened this movie with test audiences, it was at this point that people started walking out. Oh, really? The, yeah, bigoted people were starting to leave because they didn't like. Because they're gay? Yeah, but oh, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. I think they meant it when they said you can't buy love. Now I know you can rent it. And you lease you are my love. For life. Oh, my life. Oh, I guess I love it. I know you can't buy love, but I know you can rent it. Oh, I just... God. It's going to come back and hurt me even worse, guys. That's what this movie does. It's going to come back and hurt me bad. So Mimi's trying to cop. She's trying to buy drugs. And Roger literally interrupts. He apologizes to her for being, you know, kind of obstinate. And he invites her to go to the cafe with them after Maureen. Do you want to go to the protest together? (laughs) (laughs) You want to go to the cafe with me after? (laughs) I like you. Uh, Yeah, he does. That's the thing. He does genuinely like her. Uh She just messes with that stuff. So we go to the protest. Which is by far the strangest sequence in the entire film. Oh, this is the me scene, guys. (laughs) The thing about performance art, I think it is a matter of opinion. (laughs) It's subjective. Yeah. And, you know, I love her. And just everything from her entrance to her entire performance, she comes in on a motorcycle. She sure does. Oh, it's so great. Rides it right up to the stage and jumps up there in a leather jacket. And, oh, Adina, I love you. Like, this is Elsa. Yeah. This is print. This is Queen Elsa, kids. <laughs> Let that sink in. Last night, I had a dream. I found myself in a desert called Cyberland. Admittedly, there is a lot about Maureen's over-the-moon performance that I still don't understand. There's a lot of mention of the dish that ran away with the spoon and the cow and Mickey Mouse. I don't understand. Well, she's talk- she talks about Cyberland. Yes. That's- Cyber Art Studios is the one trying to evict everybody. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. What I do understand is the shade that she throws at Benny. Then, a little bulldog entered. His name, we have learned was bent. And although he once had principles, he abandoned them to live as a lapdog to a wealthy daughter of the revolution. And, you know, Benny and his guys are standing in the audience watching all this happen. These guys that Benny is with, is they're from Cyber Arts. Yeah. They're executives at Cyber Arts. She's hopping around and waving her hands and she's inviting everyone to moo with her. Moo with me. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, absolutely. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about, but I'm a moo with you to bring down the American oligarchs. Absolutely. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> moo. <laughs> You know, she goes through the whole thing, and I was like, oh, look, the cops are here to ruin everything. Do you smell bacon? (laughs) Gary. Like, before you come for me, they are absolutely acting like pigs. Yeah. They're not, these people aren't breaking any laws. This was a peaceful protest. You know, they just come in, and they start hassling this unarmed guy, and they start beating him with billy clubs. Not arresting him, they're just holding him down and beating him. And it triggers a riot. Oh, my God! 
the Life Cafe. The staff at the Life Cafe are not huge fans of this friend group. Oh, please. Oh, no. Not tonight. Oh, please, sir. Please, no. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, they are just like any theater group that comes in after a show at 1230. Mayor was standing there watching this number with me. Uh Uh-huh. And she was like, this is like us in Steak and Shake. Yeah. Why didn't they ever throw... (laughs) All throughout this song, Mayor was like, these people are going to get kicked out of this restaurant. Because they never buy anything. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. Please, no. No, not tonight. Please leave. What are you talking about? Why? Because you sit here all night and you never order anything. That's a lie. Just last week I had a tea. You couldn't pay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tonight? We can. Come on. Come on. All right, that's fine. Just please don't move the tables. Hey, Rosie, let's put these tables together. They're like, don't move the tables. What do they do? Move the tables. They move the tables. (laughs) They have to move the tables into this big, long, like, Last Supper-looking sort of arrangement because Mm -hmm. this is going to take the place of the big metal table. Exactly. The the metal, if you've seen the stage show, you know that that metal table is the focal point of this entire number. Yeah. And I love how they're just kind of realizing, you know, they can protest and protest and protest all they want. But they don't have any power. They don't have any money. So their bohemian lifestyle really is dying. Yeah. Yeah. This Benny's in the cafe as well with his crones. Yeah. And he, this whole song that's about to happen is a reaction to his assertion that bohemian life is dead <laughs> and that corporate America is the new world order. And you know, they, it's a joke. It starts off as a joke. It's like, let's have a funeral mm-hmm. for bohemia. Yeah. It's just everybody's just taking going to be taking turns talking about what they love about bohemia. Bohemian life and what inspires them. days of inspiration, playing hooky, making something out of nothing. The need to express, to communicate, to going against the grain, going insane, going mad. You know, Mark is the king of the dorks. He sure is. Mark is a dork incarnate. Like. <laughs> La Vie Bohème is a classic. There's so much to unpack. No doubt. There is so much to unpack. I spent a whole day on the internet one time when I was a teenager just Googling every single thing that's referenced. I think this is why we love it so much, because what do we love? We love to communicate in references. We love pop culture references. Yes. And <laughs> should we just should we just begin by picking a favorite verse? This song has intense lyrical value. Oh, yeah. This is Jonathan Larson. I don't know how he did all of this, but this is work. This is like some Lin-Manuel type shit Mm -hmm. in some spots. And I'm sure if Lin heard you say that, he'd cry. Oh, (laughs) I love him so much. Did you know that Jonathan Larson actually became kind of friends with Stephen Sondheim? I did not know that. Before this happened. That's That's a more accurate way to put it. It's more Sondheim than Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Okay, a favorite one. Um... My favorite part is just the part where Mimi and Angel chime in. To handcrafted beers made in local breweries. To yoga, to yogurt, to rice and beans and cheese. To leather, to dildos, to curry, bindaloo. To huevos, rancheros, and maya, and How did I know we would both have the same favorite verse? Was that your favorite one? That was also my favorite verse. Because mm-hmm, it's a key change, and you know how I love a key change. <laughs> I know everybody is being dirty and raunchy and they do not care. They just want to embarrass the hell out of Benny. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they all eventually peace out. And this song is I this song is basically a bunch of people dancing around a middle finger. <laughs> yeah. Going, are you uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> I love the energy. 
<laughs> so Mimi walks up to Roger and she's like, hey, what the hell? Yeah. If you were going to invite me as your date, why are you ignoring me? And like, I don't remember which one of them it is. Someone gets a reminder to take their medication. AZT break. Like they just realize in that moment. That, that they both have. AIDS. Yeah, and they they need to step outside and talk about it. I hate it when you do this, but I'm going to do it <laughs> anyway. Right. This is the mama, I'm a big girl now of this it show. It stops the plot cold. It just, there was so much energy going just now, and we're going to step outside to sing a ballad. I should tell you. I should tell you. I should tell you. I should tell you. I should tell I should tell I blew the candle out. said it's a beautiful tune all i can think about during this is, a, is seeing adina's ass i know right and I'm like, you want to go back to, in there they're trying to sing this love ballad and i'm like i want to go back to the ass you know they're sharing parts of their lives with one another and falling in love it's a very pretty song they're all covered in snow and they go back inside and they start making out like right there and everybody's looking at him like oh love evo mb <laughs> They do the rest of the... This song, this whole sequence is so masterful and it's so much fun. I know. You know what I'm saying? I love it when they're all lined up on the table and Mm -hmm. Mark is going, The opposite of war is in peace. It's creation. And that is the official end of Act One, I think. Yeah, it is in the stage version. It is, yeah. We will now have a 15-minute intermission. <laughs> Go ahead. We'll wait. Grab a snack. Five and- minutes later, you're on. <laughs> so this takes us into season of Love B. We're we're now at New Year's, and some of us are wearing costumes. Maureen's literally in a leather cat suit. Um, let's talk about Angel. Oh my God, I love Angel's look. I'm pussy galore in, in person. person. <laughs> <laughs> With the wig and the raincoat dress yes. and the little green bag. Oh, I, I'm living for We've it. We had a fun New Year's Eve 1990. <laughs> yeah, and you know, where everybody's walking around, drinking, making plans and resolutions. Mimi wants to give up heroin and go back to school. Roger would just like to finish one song, Glory. Yeah. And <laughs> Mark wants to make his film. Mark and Maureen are on track to becoming kind of famous, right? Because he sold his footage. Of the riot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to like a news station and now people are like calling him Buzzline. that's Mm -hmm. what it's called I love it because it's just basically hard copy but it reminds me of BuzzFeed yeah it's just so weird so we're coming back home in the morning we all (laughs) none of us have slept yeah they're coming back to the loft Benny has put a padlock on the front door so they can't get in. Beautiful, resourceful angel just picks up this trash can. (laughs) I saw this on television once. Watch. (laughs) Be careful now. You're drunk. No, I'm not. Okay, watch. Watch your fingers. She picks up that trash can and she just slams the lock open. She busts it off. It's so amazing. I just love it. They're like, that's a full service woman you've got there. (laughs) They go into the loft. Benny took all of their stuff. Cleaned them out. 
And all of Mimi's stuff, too. Yeah, all their stuff is just gone. He's trying to evict them, but now they're inside. And Joanne, the lawyer, (laughs) tells us, well, you're basically squatters, but you can't be arrested and he can't throw you out on the street. And well, now Mark doesn't have a choice, right? He kind of has to take a corporate job. Corporate America, welcome. Uh, Oh, God. Mark is so upset. He is. That he has to sell himself out to make money to live. I know, because he's got to pay back rent to Benny or they're just going to be without a place to live. God, my stomach doesn't feel right. It'll be fine. Is what I'm wearing okay? Does this look right? Yeah, you look really good. Do you think this belt is too much, though? Oh, God, I can't do this. Mark, come on. I can't do this. Yes, you can. And this is where I first intellectualized that, yeah, Joanne is the most well-off. She is. Yeah. She's a lawyer, and she's going to represent Mark in contract negotiations with Buzzline. Mm -hmm. And Maureen's coming along because she's in the footage. Yeah, Maureen thinks she's a big part of this. And and I'm like... She's so nice. She's like, I was the reason you got on television in the first place. And I'm just like, okay. And Mark is so upset. He's like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Look at this place. <laughs> He's beside himself. He can't believe it. I need to talk about something. The fact that we go into this office and Sarah goddamn Silverman is behind the desk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, 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 I got close. I was like, that's Sarah Silverman. <laughs> It's like, why is she Alexi? She was not super famous yet. No, she she, wasn't. She was very New York, though. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know. Maybe maybe she knew someone. I just love her little cameo in this film. You know what I'm saying? It's not even super extra. Yeah. The way she is. She's not overdoing it. In fact, I think she's doing her Fox News impression. Mm -hmm. She's like, I love it. So fresh, edgy. Everything Buzzline's about. Really? Oh, we may dip into the tabloid side, guilty as charged, but we are a news show. So she gets them signed on to do basically a three grand a segment job for Mark. It's a great deal. And Joanne's looking at Mark for validation on this and Mark's just like, I'm not going to say anything. I will throw up if I say something. During the meeting, Joanne is having trouble paying attention because she can see Maureen flirting with the secretary through the glass door. You can see her pretty transparently writing her phone number down for the secretary. Yeah. And, you know, everything's great. We got Mark a contract, but they take two steps out of that building and they're already into it. Because Maureen's like, never would have gotten that without me. And then Joanne was like, it's not all about you, Maureen. (laughs) And so that sparks a fight. What do you want? I'll do anything. You want me to be your slave? You want me to just obey your every wish? Tell me what you want. Commitment. That's all? Why didn't you say so in the first place? What? Right there. This whole thing, I'm just like, in front of Mark? In front of Mark. Really? You're going to propose in front of Mark? In front of Mark and an entire city block. She just gets down on one knee, takes a ring off her own finger. She's got a ring on every (laughs) finger. Yeah. And just slips it on Joanne's hand and proposes marriage. And, like, Mark's just standing off to the side, like, mucho masturbation. This is going to be great. So now we go to Stepford, Connecticut. (laughs) Do you think that's where we are? No, but it looks like it. We're at their engagement party. This reception's insane. It's a very swank venue. They're in a very nice venue. And, you know, Joanne's parents are there. Maureen's parents are there. Maureen's parents seem less jazzed about this than Joanne's parents. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know why. Hmm. Makes me wonder. How phobic are you guys? Exactly. (laughs) That just makes me wonder. We're recepting. 
Maureen goes over to the beverage table, <laughs> to the bar. And she, she's just been drinking. And she begins to become familiar with the bartender. She's flirting with her. Let, let's not mince words. Yeah. She's flirting, because you know what? Maureen is visibly like um, uncomfortable with the notion of spending her life with only one other person. Yeah. And Joanne sees her out of the corner of her eye. Will you excuse me for a moment? <laughs> <laughs> she yanks Maureen aside to... Whoa! (laughs) Yeah. Just to have this fight in front of everybody. She goes, Maureen, please, do not do this today. Like, seriously, of all days, (laughs) you're going to do this at the reception? And Maureen has had too much champagne and just decides she's going to go on about how she feels smothered by Joanne because Joanne is very straight-laced and conservative and Maureen is so not. I didn't pierce my nipples because it grossed you out. What? I didn't stay at the King Club last night because you wanted to go home. You were flirting with the woman in rubber. There will always be women in rubber flirting with me. Give me a break. Put that on my tombstone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This takes us into Take Me or Leave Me. Shelby Mack, I miss singing this with you. (laughs) Oh, my God. If my rising Leo could sing a song, this would probably be the song it would sing. Mm -hmm. Take me, baby, or leave me. A tiger in a cage can never see the sun. This diva needs her stage. Baby, let's have fun. You are the one. they start to take their fight away from the greater crowd. And like everybody just keeps following like, they them They just run after them. <laughs> like, ooh, drama. <laughs> and th- there is so much sexual tension in the latter half of this song. Yeah. They're in the billiard room and they're literally sing screaming at one another. Like, it's so dramatic. I know. And they're on opposite sides of this pool table. Mm-hmm. And Adina Menzel like mounts it and crosses it in three strides. I love it. Knocking the ball out of the way and she never breaks eye contact with Tracy Toms. I know. It's so, I'm just like, oh, I need a, <clears throat> I need a glass of water. <laughs> First of all, I don't like them breaking up. Second of all, Maureen's mother (laughs) couldn't hold it five seconds without turning to Mark and going, maybe now you two can get back together. Wow. I love Mimi. Mimi, wow. (laughs) (laughs) She just finishes her drink and is like, all right, it's time to go. All right, let's go. (laughs) And so, oh my God. uh, So they come back to the loft. Yeah, and all their shit is back. And Benny is inside. Turns out Mimi and Benny used to know each other. Like, that's something that's getting dropped in our laps. Uh And she went to him and, you know, kind of convinced him to give them all of their stuff back. Yeah. Benny is going to forgive all of their rent, give all their stuff back. He's got a rent free lease in hand. Uh, yeah. And uh, Collins is suspicious. Oh, I see. This is a photo opportunity. Mm-hmm. The benevolent guard ushers the poor artists back to their flat. Brought to you by your friendly neighborhood cyber arts. Full story tonight on Buzzline. It's not like that, Collins. Look, we don't need your charity. 
And then Mark's just like, I don't need your fucking charity. Here's some money that I have from my new job. Yeah. It's great. I love that he's able to make that move. And then Benny's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, you're not going to buy your way back into this friendship, Benny. Like, Mimi did this for them. Yeah. Mimi doesn't give a fuck about Benny. She doesn't. And But Roger is so butthurt about it. He's butthurt that she had a relationship with his buddy two years before she even met him. Like, I hate, I I wrote, I hate men. (laughs) Men are the whiniest fucking creatures. Now, here's the thing I will say in defense of Roger. All of that, I should tell you, I should tell you. She should have told him that. Like, if we're bringing everything out in the open, she knows who Benny is and that they used to be friends. I don't know. I feel like I would have at least been transparent about that. We're going to feel like we want to die for about the next 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. This stretch of the musical is very rough because we have, I think, three or four very sad songs in a row here. Yeah. um, This takes us to Without You. Which is which a is, beautiful I, song. I said, this is one of the saddest songs on record. It is. <laughs> like Because it's really just about the deterioration of the entire friend group. Yeah. Without you, the ground thaws, the rain falls, the grass grows, without you. The seeds root, the flowers bloom, the children play. Roger and Mimi become estranged because Mimi does want to give up drugs, but addiction, it it has a fierce hold on people. We get this whole montage. This is not a montage time we're excited about. No. We get this whole montage of her continuing to buy drugs, going through horrible periods of withdrawal when she can't afford them. With the sweats and the shakes. Losing her home. And she just can't quit. And Roger catches her trying to cop again. And he's just kind of done with her after that point. We also get flashes of the life support group. Oh, my God. And the camera panning around the group. And every so often, one of them will just fade away from the shot because they're passing away. It's so horrible. Like They were there and now they're not. We see Angel getting worse. There's that heartbreaking shot of Collins just holding Angel on the subway. Mm-hmm. The addiction and disease and death was rampant. I don't know how people lived through that. Every day. I don't know either. Like, if you weren't sick, you were losing people who were sick. And then, you know, that just ends in the horrifying shot of Collins sobbing uncontrollably, holding Angel's body in Angel's hospital bed. After she's passed. Mm Mm-hmm. Life goes on, but I'm gone, cause I... I can't cry yet because we've got so much other stuff to get through. Oh, my God. Now we're at Angel's funeral, which is on Halloween, which is so appropriate because if you ask any drag performer, they'll tell you Halloween is their Christmas. And, you know, this is everybody's opportunity to tell a story or two. Mark gets up and tells this story about Angel's 
friendliness and generosity and hospitality. She didn't know any strangers. Showing all of these tourists around New York City. She was just an overflowing well of compassion and kindness and your heart just fucking hurts. And Maureen gets up there and says that, you know, she was so much more original than any of them. You know, she had to use what she had, which wasn't very much. You always said how lucky you were that we were all friends. But it was us, baby. You were the lucky ones. I'm already crying, so I'll just try to get through this. I wrote unstoppable, uncontrollable sobbing when Collins approaches Angel's coffin. It's a reprise of I'll Cover You, but it's slow and it's gospel. Mm -hmm. And he is just rattling as low as he can go. And you can feel him pulling that emotion up from his diaphragm. When Tracy Toms and the chorus mm-hmm. join in, we're talking full body chills. Martin is up there pouring it out and Gavin's in the other room and he yells, are you crying again? Yeah. I'm like, no. And so let's go through another debilitating sequence. Yeah, this is a song that gets chopped in half. Goodbye, love. Yeah, yeah. Be, you know, the, the goodbye love starts with them all walking away from her burial and everybody's mad, everybody is grieving Mimi and Joanne, I'm sorry, try to make it about them because they can't stand the fact that Collins lost his true love and their own true loves will not wake up, commit, open up to them, let you know, lean into that. Oh my God. It's just like, guys, why are we talking about this? Yeah. A person is dead. Yeah. And Collins is the one that has to be like, everyone shut the fuck up. Today's not about you. She would so not want you behaving this way. I can't believe this family must die. I know. And I'm like, oh God. It's it's an extra punch, right? Because when when you're gay, when, when you're part of the queer community, you may not have blood family. Some people don't have anywhere else to go today. Yeah. What Angel says about life support. Yeah. yeah, And your friends become your chosen family. And now that's disintegrating. Mm -hmm. And then Chris Columbus, God bless him. They did. They did the other half of this song, but he decided he was going to cut it out because it was just too much. Yeah. It was just too much at that point. they, They ended it where it needed to end. Roger sells this guitar, buys a car, moves to Santa Fe. Moves to Santa Fe. He fucking did it. He can't finish a song, but he'll go away on a lark for some escapism. Mimi goes hardcore into drugs, loses her home. More this oddly enough, Maureen and Joanne get back together. Yeah. Because of this. 
this kind of takes us into uh, what you own, what you own, which is one of my favorite songs. I know it it might be my favorite song. This is the duet between Mark and Roger, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's kind of a montage about the next year of their lives. I think. Yeah, it is. You're living in America at the end of the millennium. You're living in America where it's like the twilight zone. And when you're living in America at the end of the millennium, you're what you are. Roger's doing his own thing in Santa Fe and Mark's working for Buzzline, hating every day of his life because he feels like he's sold out. Yeah. Roger never finished his song and Mark never finished his movie. Exactly. Roger realizes he's a dairy girl now <laughs> and he <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sells his car, buys a brand new guitar. He's writing songs again. Saves up, gets a bus ticket back to New York. The song starts to come to an end with Mark and Roger reuniting on their rooftop. It's so gay. I, in, in the most platonic way. I know. And they see each other and they start singing together. And when you're dying in America at the end of the millennium, you're not I wrote, hug it out, bitch. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They just throw their arms around each other. I love it. It's a great moment. But it's not so great because Mimi is missing. Yeah. And has been missing for a few weeks now. So the friends organize a search effort. They file a missing persons report, hand out flyers. They even ask her dealer if he's seen her lately. Yeah. And he hasn't even seen her. We finally get to Christmas Eve, 1990. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. It's, it's very similar. Collins shows up. They throw him down the keys. I love this. Hey, Collins, don't get your ass kicked this time. They're all sitting around trying to have some Christmas cheer, and Joanne and Maureen turn up with Mimi. In the street. Yeah, they found her in the park. Yeah. Cold and shivering. I'm like, why are we not going to the hospital? She's almost dead. Yeah. Like. They bring her upstairs into the loft and lay her down on this dirty metal table. Uh Uh-huh. I'm like, what are we doing? they do that. That's what they do in the show. They put her on the table. No, yeah, I know. It just, I'm yeah. just like, why aren't we calling the police? Collins calls 911. Yeah. He's like, fuck this. I'm not letting this happen. So I love that 911 never comes, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, no. Because she's just, I don't know. I don't know if she's sick because she's hurting for drugs or if it's because of her AIDS, but she is weak and feverish and she is inches from death. I should tell you. I should tell you. I should tell you I love you. I can't with, I can't. You don't like. I fast forwarded through it. I didn't want to deal with it. You don't like your eyes? Like, I get it. This is the one song that he's been writing and that he's got to get out. And it's about her. Like, she basically dies. And he sings the whole song to her lifeless body. He's using the Tinkerbell method. Yeah. Clap your hands and she'll come back to life. Exactly. Why does distance make us wise? You were the song all along. And 
should tell you, I should tell you, I have always loved you. You can see it in my eyes. And then, you know, we get a... <gasps> You know, it's also my pet peeve when people die in movies for like the longest 30 seconds ever, only to immediately be revived. In the Puccini opera, she actually does die. Yeah, well, you know, opera, it's got to be tragic. And it's a Chouinard that almost dies, but doesn't. Aww. Yeah. I don't want to say I would have traded, but... No, uh, no, this was the right way to go about it. It's it's representative of what actually happened. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. It hurts more. <laughs> it's Angel it and not Mimi. So she coughs and wakes up from dead. She she comes to and she's like, I saw the light. Yeah, she comes to and she's like, there's a heaven. <laughs> she saw Angel. A literal angel of Angel. And I swear, Angel was there. She said, turn around, girlfriend, and listen to that boy's song. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Oh, boy, here comes the finale and more tears. Everybody's really happy she didn't die. Mm -hmm. And Mark just turns on the projector and starts screening this movie. He's finally finished. It's called Today for You. I know, for Angel. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm not going to sob. And they're all watching it and they're belting out the finale. They're all watching this B-roll of them simply living the beauty of their lives in the now because that's all there is. guaranteed tomorrow so you better live for today you write the song you finish the movie you wear the wig you fall in love Mm -hmm. and you abandon fear yeah i just love it yeah of Mark's film is of Angel and she gives that little Mona Lisa smile. Yeah. Oh, it hurts me and I love it. Oh, my emotions. I would like to read something that Daphne Rubin Vega said about Jonathan Larson right after he died. She was the original Mimi mm-hmm. and she's not in this movie like we said because she Her was age. a little old by then. Mm-hmm. But what she said about Jonathan at the time of his death, she said Jonathan's death, quote, Let us remember that the bottom line is really about what you do with this experience, because tomorrow isn't promised you. There was no more powerful way of receiving that message than from someone who died, someone whose life was just beginning. 
end quote. It's just really fucking terrible that he didn't realize that this would impact so many people. Yeah. This musical has such an important place in the annals of music history. It's this beautiful, empathetic score, and it's got this great message about carpeing that diem mm-hmm. and living for today. It's a snapshot of a really strange time in America that has some weird parallels right now. And growing up in theater, like we said, you can't get away from this show. No. You know how many times we sang Seasons of Love mm-hmm. in my choral career? Exactly. And all of the overlap with theater and creativity and queerness and disenfranchisement, it's always just been such a stitch in my queer quilt. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. Tell me about what this means for you. This piece puts me in this existential place it makes me think about change and how hard it is to affect change when you have none of the means but all of the spirit yes and the thing i like about this piece is that it portrays queer individuals disenfranchised individuals and there's no struggle between any of them as friends because of it they all have solidarity with each other however shitty life may be you can still live it with your chosen family exactly i love that Mm -hmm. it makes me feel so much for what i've had in the past it sucks not to feel it is prevalently anymore but you know i have this film yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's it's one this is one of those films where i can watch it and it can alter my whole mood you know i just i i it's one of those films that helps you process yeah and like i said of girl interrupted it's just like you have a safe space to experience these feelings exactly in a way that is non-consequential mm-hmm. i can't believe that this film had so much impact on me personally it's inspiring it did it's it, so inspiring it inspired me to do everything that mark is doing mm-hmm. you know really memorializing how much we all love each other and and all the great times we've had together because who knows what will come tomorrow. Exactly. And, oh, God, it's just... No day but today. No day but today. Mm-hmm. La vie boheme. La vie boheme. Let's go write a play. Viva la vie boheme. Everybody, are you crying? <laughs> yeah. Are you crying? Well, suck up those tears because it's gonna be a funny one next <laughs> week. Rev up those fryers because I am one hungry help, help, <laughs> and stay out. <laughs> you just you went so flawlessly into a SpongeBob reference. I, I almost didn't notice it happened. I'm an impresario <laughs> of SpongeBob. I really am. So I hope you like drag queens because we are continuing the trend, guys. Oh my god. <laughs> Are you excited? Are you... I don't know whether to be excited or pleasantly ready. <laughs> what does that mean? Because here's the thing about this next film we're about to do. It is wacky and fun to watch. 
much. Uh huh. Just some of the casting <laughs> is a little off to me, and I hate that they make it work. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, so do, don't don't titillate us anymore. What are we doing? We're doing the 1995 drag comedy Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, <laughs> Julie Newmar. <laughs> I had to really think about that because yeah. I always call it just too Wong Fu. I actually didn't see this movie until very recently. Neither did I. My friend Madison played it for us at a wine party and we had a lot of good fun. Mary and Katie watched it at home and I just <laughs> happened to catch most of it. So so I can't wait. I can't wait to get into this next week. Guys, if you like Patrick Swayze, you'll love him in a dress. Oh, he's in full force. He is a beautiful woman. So be on the lookout for that, guys. In the meantime, go follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Make requests, leave feedback, ask questions at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That is with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, please go leave us a review. If you like today's episode, it would be a great way to support a queer podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Queers unite. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Rise up and review us. <laughs> and you know, in the, in the same vein, guys, if you have queer content you want to share with us on Twitter, please do that. Just mm-hmm. add us. Maybe there are other queer movies you would like to see or talk about. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Happy Pride, guys. Happy Pride Month. Yeah, we're all going to get through this inside together. Exactly. You know, it sucks. It's It really, really sucks, but it's what we got to do. Mm-hmm. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom. Got the news, got the news, got the news.